Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to Anti-Bullying 101. This podcast is designed to create awareness about the bullying epidemic and provide teachers, administrators, parents, and even students information about the dangers of bullying and why we have to take a comprehensive approach when dealing with the problem. My name is Jim Burns. I'm your host. I'm a retired high school administrator with over 40 years of experience in education. Currently, I'm a college instructor, and I've designed the Bullyproof Classroom, a graduate course that provides my students with permanent help, not temporary relief, as they battle the bullying epidemic. Enjoyed the podcast, everybody. I wrote the new three R's in education, respect, responsibility, and relationships, 15 years ago. At the time, it was difficult for teachers, parents, and administrators to buy into this philosophy. With the events over the past many years, I believe that this book has more meaning now than ever. I'll be sharing chapters of this book during the next 10 episodes of Anti-Bullying 101 with commentary and ask that you take a good hard look at the state of society, education, and our culture and consider what you hear, and use the philosophy to facilitate change. Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome back to Anti-Bullying 101. We are in the midst of covering the new three R's in education. We're revisiting a book that I wrote 15 years ago, and we are on Chapter 7. And if you've been following along, you know that I've covered respect, responsibility. Today, I want to take a look at something that I call the Relationship Connection. The most important thing that a kid has to know is, does the teacher like me? And if they feel as if the teacher likes them, and they can build a relationship with them, and they can work with them, then more learning will occur. The child then will be more comfortable in the learning environment. They will feel safe. They'll feel secure. It's all based on the relationship. The most powerful weapon that teachers can use in developing respect and responsibility is to work on building that positive relationship first. This may not seem like it's too hard, but it is hard to build a relationship, sometimes with kids that we don't like. And we've been taught to say, you know, I really like you, but I don't like your behavior. But in case you missed it, it's very hard to like someone when you don't like their behavior. Because what are people if they're not just a compilation of what they do? So let's realize that kids do have a sixth sense and really know if a teacher likes them or not. 
understand that as a teacher, you have to come clean with yourself and say, I really don't like this kid. He's a wise guy, you know, but how can I build a relationship with him or her that will make my life bearable when they're in the room? This conscious effort must be made because if you don't like someone you normally shy away from, and even attempt to build a relationship with the person. Now, in order to build a relationship with kids, we have to have an idea about how the brain works. And I've got an illustration in the book. It's in the appendix. And once again, I'm going to include a link in the episode description. The brain is formed in three layers. The stem, which is where the brain goes for survival... The midbrain, or the limbic system, which, which is where the emotions are located. And the top of the brain, where, the, uh, where all learning takes place. That's known as the neocortex, or the cerebrum. All incoming information has to be filtered by the emotions. And there's a piece right dead center in the middle of the brain called the amygdala. And that amygdala filters out things or people that cause stress. So as a teacher, if you cause stress for a student, the amygdala is always asking the question, where's the information coming from? And if it's coming from someone that that produces stress for that student, it is going to be very difficult for learning to take place. See, when a person gets placed under stress, the heart rate and the breathing goes up, and the primary responsibility of the brain is survival of the owner. And there's only two ways that a person survives. And it's and you know what they are. It's fight or flight. And when stress hits this person's emotions, they're either going to run away or they're going to confront their attacker. Students who engage teachers in struggles and are disrespectful have learned early on in their life how to use the flight mechanism. And to build a relationship with a difficult student requires that thought, time, and energy be spent breaking through that emotional wall. Now, This next little piece is called getting off the brick because right in the middle of the brain, visualize for yourself bricks that are placed there. And on those bricks go the names of different people, events, things, you know, or anything that cause stress. And if in fact you happen to be on one of those bricks. Anytime information comes in, the amygdala sends out the, sends out the, 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 um, uh, the warning, this person caused you stress, and your name is on one of those bricks. All in, the brain then automatically downshifts and goes into the stem for survival. Now, we need to acknowledge that the relationship that we have with certain students could be strained. And we also have to understand that we may have contributed to the problem. Keep in the back of your mind any negative comments that 
you make to other faculty members concerning how you feel about the student. Because this information could get back to the student. So try to make it a point not to talk negatively about students that you have. What is the expression on your face when you see the student enter the room? Do you express a feeling of relief when the student is absent? And do the other students in the class notice your sigh of relief when the student is not present that day? The second thing that needs to be done is to schedule a meeting with the student alone. At this meeting, discuss with the student your concern about their behavior and ask the student if you as the teacher, if you as the teacher have contributed to this poor relationship that exists between the two of you. Understand that the student will probably not say that you're the problem. Let the student know that if there is anything that you have done to contribute to this problem, that you're sorry and ask for the student's forgiveness. Yes, forgiveness. Remember, you're doing this to make your life more bearable. Your apology should be genuine and keep in the back of your mind that you're trying to solve a difficult problem here and that you may have to go out of your comfort zone. You know, apologizing to a kid can be one of the hardest things that we ever have to do. But in reality, in this situation, if it solves the problem and makes life more bearable for the two of you, it's worth it. Now, once you do this, you have this meeting, you have this discussion, kid's going to want to check you out to see if you're real. He will engage you again and try to have another power struggle with you. Your attitude at that time of the next power struggle or of the next time that they come to class late or there's a problem or they're sleeping at your desk, at their desk, your attitude will determine whether or not you come off that brick in the wall. If, in fact, the kid doesn't think you're the real McCoy, you're going to stay there until you can prove yourself. Always remember that power struggles take two people. And if you're having a power struggle, then it's an indication that you're trying and vying for power yourself. A person can only control one thing in their life, and that's himself or herself. If we waste time trying to control others, our frustration will become obvious to the student, which will only make the struggle more intense. Work on yourself and ask yourself very plainly, why am I having power struggles with students? I think that you might discover that you're having power struggles with a lot of people. Because you want control. Certainly we want to make sure that we can maintain a classroom climate and that we feel as if we're in charge. That, you know, that's a good thing. But if we feel as if control is necessary, we're going to end up having a problem. 
Try controlling the things you can control and work on your your own strategies for diffusing struggles rather than complaining or blaming other factors for the problems that you're having. That's the bricks in the wall. The second part of this podcast is dealing with how we can manage kids who need attention. And it's titled, All Roads Lead to Attention. Now, Rudolf Dreikers was an American psychiatrist and educator who developed um, the psychologist Alfred Adler's system of individual psychology into a pragmatic method for understanding the purpose of reprehensible behavior in children and for stimulating cooperative behavior without punishment or reward. He suggested that human behavior is the result of feeling a lack of belonging to one social group. And when this happens, the child acts from one of four mistaken goals. Power, attention, revenge, or avoidance of failure, or inadequacy. Dreikers reason that these students will act out based on the four principled and mistaken goals. The first reason for their misbehavior is that they desire attention. If they don't receive the attention they crave through actions, good or bad, doing well on a paper, or throwing a tantrum, then they move on. Now remember folks, attention, power, revenge, avoidance of failure. They are on a continuum. They're on a continuum. They move if they're not getting the correct attention to where? Seeking a power struggle. If their power struggle is thwarted, then they seek revenge. And if revenge does not get the desired response, they begin to feel inadequate. In other words, nothing works. Now, I teach a course in cooperative discipline, which is based in part on the Dreikers model of the four immediate goals of attention, power, revenge, and avoidance of failure. And when I first started teaching this course, I believed that these four motivation worked, motivations worked in isolation and were almost unrelated to each other. What I recently came to discover that was that if a student doesn't receive attention for his behavior, good or bad, he will raise the stakes and move on to the next level and engage the teacher in a power struggle. And if the student loses the struggle, it's revenge and then inadequacy. It's a continuum. All roads lead to attention. And if you're providing the positive attention that a kid needs, you've created in him what I call an abundant mentality. Meaning, I'm going to get attention at some point. If you withhold attention from a kid for their positive behaviors, you create the scarcity mentality, which means I now have to steal attention because that's what I crave. 
When the required positive attention is given to a student, they're less likely to seek attention in a negative manner. Students who receive positive attention on a consistent basis will be more respectful and more responsible, and they will be far easier to connect. It'll be far easier for them to connect with teachers, their classmates, and other significant people in their lives. When students don't receive positive attention, they can become frustrated, angry, and ultimately filled with despair. And they begin to think that, you know, I can't please my parents or teachers anyway, so what's the use in trying at all? All roads lead to attention. When positive attention is given to a student, the new three R's become much easier to teach. Students begin to feel recognized for their achievement and don't seek attention negatively in ways that destroy the foundation of respect and responsibility. You know, as a young parent, I came to understand and I became aware of the importance of positive attention with my oldest daughter, who is now almost 29. When she was about five years old, I was in the middle of my career as a school administrator. And I worked long hours and usually came home exhausted from my day. I'd get home and quickly change clothes and read the paper or just try and unwind. I didn't know it at the time, but Sarah was waiting patiently for me to get home. She wanted a play and she wanted a play with Dad. She would come up to me and say, Dad, will you play with me? And I would say to her, Honey, Daddy's very tired. Let me relax for about 30 minutes and then I'll be ready to play with you. And she would come back to me after those 30 minutes and she'd be ready to play. And you know, I played with her, but I really didn't have my heart in it. I mean, who wants to play tag or play dolls with a five-year-old girl? I never once came home and said, what do you want to do? And never had an enthusiastic attitude when I played with her. Sarah's behavior began to change and she became more disrespectful and less compliant. I, I found myself constantly correcting her and I was becoming more and more frustrated with her behavior and attitude. Now let's look at this from a child's perspective. Anytime my father's spending time with me, I'm doing something bad and I get my dad's attention. It's to my advantage to act up. That's the only time that my father spends time with me and gives me the attention that I want. And it doesn't really matter to the child what type of attention they get. If they can't get positive attention, they know that they can get negative attention. And it wasn't until I started giving my daughter the required attention and involve myself with her by playing board games, going to the park, tickling, and taking a real interest in her emotional needs that she become more respectful, responsible, and compliant. My friends, all roads lead to attention. And if the correct attention is given to a child, the new three R's, well, they'll just become easy to teach. It's our job 
as adults to know the correct behavior that we need to exhibit when we work with students and when we work with our own children. We need to make sure that we recognize their achievements, we recognize what they do that's right, and we make sure that if, if it's necessary, we reward their behavior. And sometimes, sometimes attention is plenty, plenty enough of a reward for a student. I am 65 years old now, and I knew this years ago. But sometimes we can become so negative in our thinking, and we can forget how much people crave the attention that we can give them, that what happens is, is we, we find ourselves in a pattern of doing nothing but correcting negative behavior. It is so important for you to be a talent scout and find the things that your students and your children are doing right and make sure that you let them know that you've recognized it and you appreciate their, their positive behavior and their good behavior and the fact that they are now a, a, a contributing member to the classroom or to the home. My name is Jim Burns. Thank you for listening to Anti-Bullying 101. I am going to leave the new three R's a link on the episode in the episode description and ask that if you'd like to get the entire book, please click on the link. The other thing I'm going to ask you to do is please donate. I will have a donate link in this episode description. We are struggling to make sure that we can keep this podcast going. So please contribute. Bullying is a worldwide issue, and we all need to do our part. Once again, my name is Jim Burns. I'm sitting here on a rainy day in New Jersey. I'm looking out the window, and the rain is coming down. It's very cloudy. It doesn't matter to me, and it shouldn't matter to you, because all we have to remember is we have to carry our own weather around with us. Once again, I'm Jim Burns. Thanks for listening to Anti-Bullying 101.